I'm Robin Linden, and this is Eat the Rind, a podcast devoted to the world of artisan cheese and the things that go with it. Learn more online at eattherind.tumblr.com. In this week's podcast, you're going to experience the sounds and atmosphere of making one of the most important cheeses in England, Mrs. Kirkham's Lancashire. I couldn't believe my luck when Graham Kirkham, maker of Mrs. Kirkham's Lancashire, agreed to let me interview him. Graham's mum was one of the cheese heroes, along with Lucy Appleby, who brought traditional cheese making back to Britain after the Second World War. Graham took over a few years ago, and I interviewed him one morning amid the hubbub of the cheesemaking room. We talked while Graham was busily turning cheeses, adding the rennet, cutting the curd, and unmolding the cheeses from the previous day. Most of these activities are rather loud, so my advice is don't listen to this episode through headphones, as the background noise is much louder that way. But either way, please stick with it. I promise this episode is worth it. And what do you know about the history of your family making this cheese? How far back do you know? Or does anybody know? Um, my mum's probably better. I mean, my mum's mum, my grandma makes, she made it all her life. I'm not sure about her parents, I don't know, I've never asked. And I know it's made on my dad's side as well. Um, half a mile down the road, my dad's uncle, Roger Kirkham, was it? Alice Kirkham, they used to make cheese. Three or four hundred yards down the road there. There's cheese making, so there's cheese making on both sides of our family. Is this your destiny? <laughs> Doomed. <laughs> um, Doomed. Would they have just done it for their family, or just for the local market, or would they have done it? No, it was. Um, I don't know. It was done, you know, like a small commercial way. You know, that's how they made a living. You know, they milk cows. Turn the milk into cheese, you know, um, added value really. So, yeah, that's. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's and then you, but your, and then your mum did it. Yeah, um, my mum's. I bet we've been here 35 years making cheese. So, my mum, my grandma retired, and then uh, the equipment came here, converted a little old building outside into a dairy. And it is small, it's like from room. It's small, and then uh, and off we went making cheese. Um, she came for two days, showed them how to make cheese. I was stood in the dairy watching what was going on, and then then we just left to it really. <laughs> That's it. Really? Yeah, where you went. So you didn't grow up in the dairy with your mum making it. Well, yeah, I did really. Um, how old would I be? I would be probably seven or something like that. Somewhere around there. Um, when so, your mum took it over. Yeah. So yeah, so there's always been I've always known this place to make cheese. It's always been cheese. Um never done it different really. And she called it Mrs. Kirkham. No, no, sorry. No, in the early days it was um we all used to sell to the marketing board, mended foods and um we all had a number. I was either 19 or 21, I can't remember, it used to stamp this purple number on the side of the cheese. So it wasn't, <clears throat> it wasn't sold under your name, it was sold. It, the hub, it used, a big hub used to buy it all, the milk boy, um, and they used to pay for the cheese. And then they used to sell it out there, 
And what would they call it then? Like if you went into the supermarket to buy it, what would it just be called? It would just like be Lancashire. Lancashire. It was just Lancashire and a number. When they, when the milk board dissolved, I don't quite know what happened properly. It kind of like something happened and the milk board dissolved. Um, we were then left. Why, oh my lord, you know. <laughs> we're going to do all this cheese, who are we going to sell this cheese to? And then obviously the people that they were selling to started ringing. And, um, um, because you had a storeroom full of cheese, so they just closed down quite suddenly. It wasn't yeah, like they said, quick. next yeah. year we're going to. No, no, it was quick. It was very quick. Yeah, because I mean, one would probably tell you how it went, what happened better, what was the, the deal properly, but, um, but I remember, I remember like, oh no, you know, the milk board's gone, who's going to buy our cheese, that's the end of that, you stop making cheese. And then obviously the customers they were selling to found out whose cheese they were buying. And then people started ringing us and saying, we used to buy your cheese through Mended Foods, can we come direct to you? It's like, bloody right, you can't, yeah. Our livelihood isn't gone. Yeah, we still need to sell cheese. And then, uh, so people started ringing, people started turning up in cars and little vans and taking cheese off us. And then that's when Rand appeared. Um, he sort of came. From Mills Dairy. Mills Dairy, he sort of appeared and said, now to buy cheese off you. He'd buy cheese off you, didn't he? And then, there it was, that was the start, it was in Neil's Yard Dairy. And so would this have been in the late 70s? When do you think this would have been? Yeah, the 70s, this. Mid-70s, this. Um, I would imagine that the dissolution of the milk marketing board, I would have thought, would have been a good thing for, on your end of this, because it cut out. It cut out the middleman, and then we all got, all the cheesemakers got identified then, didn't they? You know, our cheese was then Mrs. Kirk of Lancashire. There was then Appleby's Cheshire. There was then Montgomery's Cheddar. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is how, it, you know, all these people, all these cheesemakers suddenly, all these cheeses got people's names or people who made them, you know. Um, I can't them. imagine another industry where the person who, can you imagine, you know, top 40 music where it's uh, band's number seven yeah, no. and you don't know who it is? Who I it just is. can't imagine that. So, um, All the artistry and the personalization behind cheese, yeah. completely not acknowledging that, yeah. and as though you're all the same. Yeah. Shocking. So that's how it was. It's just, that's just how it was. It's just what happened. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, so then we all got, you know, sort of identified and cheeses were named and so I don't know. Well, I think that's well, the very early days of the start of, I don't want to call it the revival of the British cheese industry, but the start of it, you know. Um, Is it people like Randolph going around trying to re encourage people to make the territorials? Yes, again, the territorials, raw milk cheeses, the territorials, the old fashioned cheeses, bread and butter cheeses, you know. Um, that's been made all day, every day. I've been bought by, you know, Housewives all day, every day, you know, forever so. And before that, made by yeah. farmers' wives. Yeah, yeah. Always. So, do you know if anybody ever originally had a recipe? Like when you, when your mum took over, was she given anything in writing? No. Just, just short. Yeah, yeah. Just shown how to make cheese for a couple of days, and then that's what you do. And then she just worked it out. Worked it out. No science background. No, nothing. Just let's get on with it. What, this is how it works. This is what you use. Start and run it, warm it up, watch your milk, 
and then when it looks like this, do that. Yeah, and away you go. Where I'm quite lucky now because I've had all this experience and all this playing around with rand, playing around with milk and cheese, and, and I feel I've got quite a good understanding of what's going on in there now. What does what? If I do what? Why? why what reactions I get? What to look for? I feel um, quite in tune with what's going on with me. If something goes out of balance a little bit, we can um, put it right, or hopefully put it right. Um, that's what happens. That's, that's, that's what sometimes happens. You get people making these great cheeses, but they don't actually know why they're making it great. And then they can sort of go off a little bit. You can't just think, how do we get back? Mm. You know what I mean? Because it's constantly, constantly moving all the time as your cheese making parameters, constantly. Weather, temperature, what your cows are eating, feed, carving patterns, uh, milk quality. Constantly moving all the time. I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people want to encourage farmers to make cheese. So it all happens in the same place. So that the cheese is coming from the milk on the same yeah. place yeah. and the same people are involved in both yeah. sides of it. Yeah, they see both sides of it then, don't they? So you know, because they're your cows, you yeah. know what's happening with them and how healthy they are. And yeah. um, what they're eating and everything. Yeah, and then, um, but, but on the flip side to that is, it also makes cheese interesting, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? So they do vary through the year. That's great. Because it's seasonable and it's real, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's not so messed around with it, it's so uniform that it's going to be the same every single time, you know. That's another thing, if you don't use too much star culture, you will get slight variations. But good variations, you know, it makes it interesting, doesn't it? Well, I always encourage people to try it every single time yeah. when they know the cheese. Yeah. Because this one will be different. It's slightly different to that one, and that's what it's about. Um, it's interesting about your your grandmother making cheese because if you think about women and their role, yeah, you know, prior to feminist movement and close women's rights, um, it wouldn't have been a priority for women in the household to be seen as to be the person that made money to have a business. Yeah. It's interesting that she did that. Was yeah. it out of necessity, do you think, for the family just well to start making cheese, or to just even if she was carrying on? Um, it's quite a lot of business responsibility, and you think just what gender roles would have been like back then? I don't know. Women just—you'd always see it was always kind of like the men worked outside on the farm because it was like heavy farm manual work, you know. And the women made cheese, didn't they? You know, it was like it was. Um, but, but don't forget, in those days, it was very small scale, wasn't it? You know, I mean, you're looking at, um, you know, you're looking at. Herd, you know, cow herds were small, weren't they? Very small. And, the, you know, herd average literage was very small. So you might only be making four cheese in a day. Mm. So, you know, it's nothing yeah. like scaled up like we are now, you know, or other dairies. You know, it was all, you know, you might have, I don't know, 150 gallons of milk, 100 gallons of milk. You know, you might make four or five cheese in a day, which isn't. It isn't a troll, you know, it's not, it's not horrendous, it's very manageable for someone, for her to do that, you know. And to work her household chores. Yeah, around it. Because yeah. I remember when I was at, um, when I was at school, my mum used to get up, and then um, I'd get up to shoot out, to start warming the milk up, 
and then she'd come back in, I'd have some breakfast, get ready for school, she'd shoot out, she'd put the starter in, shoot back in, take me to school, come back, and then do... So, mm-hmm. so her cheese making was based around house as well. And then obviously when you was like setting the curd and things like that, she'd come back in the house, do some whatever she needed to do, um, cut the curd, go and do whatever she was doing, and then go back out when you needed the way running off. In between running the way off, she puts potatoes on and make some dinner and then um, get dinner sorted out, then get the curd out and do a break and then come back in and have some dinner and, and it was, you know, they sort of ran together somehow, you know. What would have been the distance between the cheese making room and the mum's house? Yeah. 30 metres. Mm-hmm. Next door, you know, the next building when you're dirty, you know, you sort of nipped in through that door and you're back in the dirty, you know. So. And then would she, would there be a maturing room? There? Yeah. Old storeroom, there's um, yeah, the old um, have you been down there and seen the old dairy? On the outside, yeah. Not in the inside, I'll show you after that. Um, yeah, a little tiny room for storage, and then a little box thing on the outside for a bit of extra storage, and then um, we used to store the cheese at me, um, me grandma. What time I think for that food? Yeah, yeah, it is um, 27, yeah, 10 27. At this point in our interview, Graham's sixth sense told him it was time to start cutting the curd. So we left the maturing room and went off to the cheese making room. But be warned, this is where it starts to get really loud. We're talking about storing the cheese. Oh, um, I used to work on selling yeah, at, at the overflow. You used to go to the grandma's that they always want to a living room. This old fashioned farm, big old farmhouse, and then um, open fire, and then a checklist around the brown Chesterfield settee, and then behind that there's a row of, on the back wall, a row of wooden cheese shells. And on the cheese shells, there's a of cheese. <laughs> and um, my granddad, you know, used to look after the cheese and turn the cheese at night, rub them up, keep them in real tip top condition, real tip top in front of this, this log of But it was funny because um, um, whilst we were doing that, whilst that was happening, Randolph would only buy the cheese from Neil Shard. He would only buy the cheese from the grandma's fire. Because they were sort of nurtured and kept warm. Yeah. And they were just mature so much better. They were just, just looked after and loved. Loved, yeah. yeah. And they just, uh, yeah, it, 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 it reminds me of stories you hear about farmers or cheesemakers who say, never go in the cheese room if you're in a bad mood because it'll affect the cheese. Hungry <laughs> yeah. weather does. Do you notice that? Oof, yeah. Do you think the cheese gets scared? Um, I think it's to do with the pressure, the air pressure. But I've normally been really hungry, and then once you've done this, it's gone into that drain about and you'd come to it in the morning after. It's all it's full of aero pockets, full of air pockets. Uh, it's like a bar of aero. I like those little bubbles like in there. Yeah, it's like, what on earth is going on here? Why? I don't know. Why has he done that? And it seems to happen on those hundred years. 
wonder what the, a proper scientist would say. Have to ask Yvonne Larcher next time. So yeah, it's, um, it's fully on the case, isn't it? Cheesemaker is dead simple. You've only got three or four ingredients. You've got milk, salt, and starter in it. It's so basic. It's so basic. But to actually make it work and make cheese, that's the, that's the tricky bit. It never ceases to amaze me how many thousands of varieties there are using just those four ingredients. Yeah, we all, set, they all, we all basically set off for the same thing. Yeah. Then we all go down different routes. Volumes of starter and rennet and temperatures and you know, and then you see you make all these different stems of cheeses. It's crazy. And every country does it their own way, way using their own special equipment they've devised, or their special techniques that their grandparents would have devised, or where do you guys get your credit? The credit. Um, it's Chris Hansen, but it's again animal rennet. It's the basic standard one certified animal rennet. But for us, I've tried veggie rennets, and they just don't have that edge. Like a, an animal rennet, it just, just gives you that, I don't know, that extra texture. Just, you just get such a, it's all about the set. This is what we're doing now, this set. It's, the most important part, one of the most important parts of cheese making. If you use a veggie rennet, you don't get the type of set we're looking for. It doesn't seem to um, hold or, or gather um, or, and lock everything together like um, a little or anything. Yeah. It just has the quality somehow. Especially in a hard cheese. I mean, there are cheeses like Cardo that are amazing, yeah. even with vegetarian. But yeah, oh, I, mean, yeah. I think it depends. I mean, it's down to the style of cheese again. That's why. That's why you know what works for me wouldn't work for somebody else or for anything. Yeah. You've got to tailor. You've got to. You've got to find what works best for your cheese. You know. Which is obviously something that. Um, it's worked out a very long time ago. And yet, do you think there's any similarity to what you do to what either your mum or your friend did? What I'm doing now is um, that what they've done. You know, we could change this up so much, but um, this hand-cut system what we're using against, you know, those... Um, right, because you obviously have a vat that has the capacity to automatically cut for you, but you choose to not use that part of the vat and to do it yourself. Yeah, just, um, you just can't get the, the right size, you can't get the consistency. It, it takes too long. It just doesn't do what I'm looking for. Um, you can control exactly where the blades go. This is a cross. But I can get what I'm, I can get what I'm looking for best with these. I can't be that. So, do you think that if you're 
mom had to make cheese, she would recognize the stuff that you do and she could come in and... Oh yeah, she's still... Yeah, from time to time, she's still cool. Yeah. If I'm, uh, say, away, away on a show or a market yeah. or something, you know, quite often she'll just come in and you know, see what's Because it's like what you were saying before about how, you know, obviously your cheese making pattern evolves and what you do changes. But she would still know what the curds meant to look like. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And at the end of the day, that's... There's no substitute for uh, knowing how you want the curd to feel and look and taste, you know. Just how you get to that point. And do you find that it pretty much is, the timings are pretty... Pretty much the same every day, or does it vary a little bit? So when you came in today and said 10:30, I have to cut. Did you? Is it sometimes that you come in and then you realize actually I can't do it just yet? Yeah, yeah, it wants a few more minutes. Yeah, yeah definitely. Or it kind of it, sometimes you can go on a little bit faster, and that's really slightly soon. Yep. So what are you looking for to know that it's time? Um, can you describe it? Yeah, you're looking for that perfect sort of blancmange set. Mm -hmm. But it, it should, when you touch the when you when you touch the um, the set milk, you don't want a lot of um, cream coming off the top. You want the cream to have set in the milk. And then when you when you touch the sides, you want um, you want it like a jelly that just falls away from the side of the mold. Just wants to when you touch it, just it just sort of folds away and holds together, you know, like a set jelly. Yeah. That's what you're And then when you put your finger in, you can split the curd. Put your finger in, lift your finger up. You should be able to split it, and it should be a nice straight split. Yeah. Not all soft and jaggy. You've got to imagine you're trying to set this milk, so you can cut it into cubes. So you've got to think, right, is this solid enough for me now to cut this into a cube? That's what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. If it's not solid enough, and you're going to have damaged cubes, Rather than nice straight edge cut tubes. Cubes then. So what you're looking for is all the sides being cut and silky and straight. That's what you're looking for. Yeah. If they're all jagged and torn, that's bad. Really bad. Because then again, you're leaching calcium and protein, casing out of your curd. You want it to be cut and trapped, not jagged and leaching and bits falling away and going down your little. So now it rests. An hour, three quarters of an hour to an hour, and then we'll drain. We'll drain all its way off then. And hopefully, okay, so obviously, historically, that would have meant that your your mum would have had time then to go make yeah. lunch and yeah, yeah, start making some lunch now. Yeah. Well, my mum would have done, yeah, yeah. or <laughs> put some washing in or yeah, do yeah. something in the house, yeah. Yeah, it's very nice that the cheese allows people time to get to work around it, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you look at, you know, this is a really slow man. We're going to be making cheese all day. You know, you look at, like, you see the cheddar boys and those Cheshire people, you know. 
the curds in the mould at two o'clock, isn't it? You know, they're done, they're finished, the day's finished. You know, we're going to be working at this and tearing it and breaking it and cutting it up to five o'clock this evening, you know. So, um, you know, this is a, it is a slow making of Lancashire, against some of these faster single day curd style cheeses. Or this particular style is anyway. It was just, you know, that's the thing. You know, a lot of supermarket cheese, the supermarket Lancashire's are single day curd cheeses. So they will still be made, you know, um, the curd in this vat wouldn't go into the drain of that, it would go straight through the pegment and be called a Lancashire. Or it might have a Cheshire label put on it. Throw some in that too, I think it's called a Cheshire. When was it decided that you were going to be the one that took, that took over? I don't know, it happened. How did that happen? Uh, I don't know, I just. Um, did you, were you always interested? I've always been around it. I've always been around cheese, haven't I? I've always been in. Uh, you know, even at weekends, so when I left school, I went and got a trade as a motor mechanic. And I did that probably up to the age of 25, 26, maybe. So while your mum carried on? Yeah. But all in that time, you know, from school right through to all the time, I must have lived at the farm. Yeah. So I've always helped out at weekends or at night or this, or they've said, just give us a lift in here, Graham. You know? So I've always kind of been around it. Not every day. No, I'm not religiously made cheese every day then, but I've always been pulled in or done something or helped out. But it's always been there. But there was never a succession plan where your mum said, right, no. I'm going to retire and no. then I want you to... No, never, no. So she, it's really great that she left it up to you. She didn't say... You and you have to, to do that. And I'll do that the same with my kids. Mm -hmm. You cannot force someone to make cheese. They have to want to do it. It's a way of life. It's not a job. It's a way of life with cheese making. Because you've all, your life revolves around it. You know what I mean? So you've got to be... You've got to want to do that. You know, and you've got to treat it like that. Same with my lads. If they're not interested, I'm not going to say, you're going to make cheese. I want you to make cheese have to naturally have a flair for doing it and naturally have to want to do it. Otherwise, And when did, when did you or your mum realise that you had that? Um, I suppose when Ran got involved, really. And we, um... Did he make it exciting that you were yeah, going to Yeah, he motivated it. And, uh, yeah. He motivated us in a way and he'd take us up in the van and we'd go around different cheese makers and looking at cheese and across the bright lights of London and see the shops working and I suppose he jazzed it up a little bit really. Um, it must be in a, a huge rush to see your cheese on the counter at Mills Yard Dairy. Yeah, of course you did in any of those stores, isn't it? It's like, wow. It's I did millions. that. You know, wow. It's nice to see how sometimes the staff talk about the cheese and talk about the person who makes the cheese and how they look after it. That's nice, you know. Wow, you know, they're really... Uh, they're really into that cheese. I think a lot of it is quite nice, that, you know. Well, um, you know, there is someone in the wholesale department that calls it his desert island cheese. Sorry, say again. That calls it his desert island yeah, cheese. Yeah, it is. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. So, um, that's the highest compliment you uh, can uh, Yeah, that's the thing, is That's it? a motivator uh, to, is. to yeah, make yeah. cheese. The last piece would be a Lancashire. <laughs> wow. Um, so, how did it happen? I don't know. It kind of, um, it kind of happened. Um, just kind of gradually. Yeah, I did. I found myself doing more and more in dairy, helping out more, getting fed up with what I was doing. 
realizing realizing like um, this is really what I want to do. Messing around with I think that sort of thing's great when you're a lad. The car deal, you know, the car garage seems great. Um, I don't know. I think it happens. Or what you set off in life wanting to do when you leave school, you get to like your mid twenties, and you think your ideas shift. You know, it tells me a lot of people, a lot of friends I know, a lot of people I know. You know, where they started off certainly isn't what they're doing now. It sort of shifts. And um, the other day I got busier and busier. I got back into it. Sort of got not lurid about my level, but sort of um, just progressively happened somehow. And, uh, and then, oh, then the market started, didn't it? That was quite a buzz. So, probably yeah, a long time ago now, 12 years ago, 15 years ago. You got that food movement, that food rush, didn't you? Farmers market, producers market, food events, food shows. And I was fortunate I was stepped into that era right at the very start. And that was amazing, they were amazing days, and that really sucked me with that. That was the latest product. Put it in the van, drive to some event, sell an immense amount of cheese at retail money and come back with this hoard of money in my pocket, you know. And I thought, well, this is this ain't bad, is it? <laughs> it's been <laughs> this is bloody great, this. Look at all this money I've got, you know. Um, so that kind of like that was interesting and good. So I got a, I got a bit of both. I got the cheese making. I got going out to selling it. I got out and you know looking into promoting it out on the market. And, um, so it's quite a bit of that buzzing around, really. I, think. I suppose the interaction with people actually tasting your cheese and having seeing yeah. the reaction on people's faces. Yeah. Because you don't get to see that in the cheese room. No, you don't know. That's a, that's a downside to you know sometimes if you're just stuck in the dairy you're looking at those four walls you don't really get what it's all about sometimes you, know, you need that um, you need to see that end thing to um, see the whole picture really can't you see what it's all about spending the day making cheese with Graham and listening to stories about the history of his mother's cheese made me even more grateful for cheese heroes like Randolph Hodgson, without whom there would be no Mrs. Kirkham's Lancashire. And as much as I love modern British cheeses like St. Jude, and look forward to future British cheeses like Jowett, these stories are a reminder of how important it is to eat handmade, traditional, territorial British cheeses. I hope you're inspired to support them too. <laughs>